Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Our scripture reading this morning is something that I was sitting over there and thinking, how do I introduce this? And I'm just really curious at how you all walk away today and continue the rest of your week imagining in a contemporary sense what the verse is for us today. We are reading from Mark 11, 15 through 18. When Jesus reached Jerusalem, he entered the temple courtyard. And he began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He turned over the tables of the people who were exchanging money. And he also turned over the benches of those who were selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry items for sale through the temple courtyard. And then he taught them, it is written that the Lord said, my house will be called a house where people from all nations can pray. But you have made it a den for robbers. Arizona is the state that just keeps giving. It can give so many different things to us. One recently that I've noticed about Arizona is it it has an incredible ability to give us heat. I mean, right when you think, you know, like 105, 106, that's good. No, Arizona just wants to keep giving it to us. So today we're going to get 110, we're going to get 111. The other thing that I find amazing about Arizona is that it continues to give us something to think about. Perhaps you remember recently, over the last few weeks, maybe a month or so, there was a big, big thing about flat tax that their legislation wanted to pass a flat tax. And there were individuals who were all in favor for it, and there was then others who, even clergy, who gathered in front of the Capitol and said, no, 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 this is unjust. It will hurt the poor. It will hurt the marginalized. Now there's other tax breaks. That one didn't pass, so now they've got this other one that's coming through. And the media showed us that the tax break could save anyone from $4 to over $300,000, or I mean, 30 some thousand dollars. And again, people are clamoring, this is just or unjust. Right now in the Supreme Court, they're looking at our voting laws that were recently passed and trying to determine, are these just or unjust? There's one side that says they're unjust because it's hurting people of color. People of color, because of these laws, will not have access as readily as other people. And then the other side is arguing and said, no, 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 this has nothing to do with race. This has to do with politics. And because we as Republicans are in power, then we have the right to pass laws on how things ought to be governed. So the Supreme Court is looking at it and determining, is this a just issue of what is just or unjust, or is this just a political issue? Immigration. 
prison reform. There are so many causes of just and injustice here in Arizona alone. It's the gift that just keeps giving. And we have to decide what is just or unjust. What's amazing, though, is that some people have seemed to have figured it out really easy. All they do is they look at it and they can tell you it's unjust. And then they will decide what they ought to do about it. And they'll get a group of people to come together and proclaim this injustice. And they look to the text that was just read for us as their inspiration. You see, they believe that when Jesus walked into that temple, he saw injustice. He saw that the world, the religious world, was not treating people equally that people were being taken advantage of. And so Jesus acted out. Jesus protested. So therefore, it inspires people who are followers of Jesus to do the same. So we make our placards, we make our signs, and we march and we protest on what we see as being unjust in our society. And what better example other than Jesus? It's so simple. Jesus cared about the marginalized, and so should we. But is it that simple? Is it that easy? What, you had read, what we had read for us comes out of the Gospel of Mark. But if you look, you'll find that same story in Mark, but also in Matthew and Luke and John. And you'll find that there's a great deal of diversity on what actually happened and why it happened. In the Gospel of John, it's the first thing that Jesus does. In the other three, he doesn't do it till the very end. In some of them, Jesus turns over tables. In others, he picks up these cords and uses them as a whip. The Gospel writers themselves can't agree on what actually happened on that day. So how then do we use that as motivation to speak out against justice? How do we use Jesus as this role model for us? You see, it's far more complicated. What Jesus did, we're not sure. Scholars can't even agree. Some say he did something. Others say he probably did nothing. And it was the community that decades later said that Jesus did this. But what I find fascinating is that when you read the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus not only goes in and does this acting out in the temple, Jesus goes beyond that. He leaves, and then he comes back. 
And apparently, he keeps coming back for that one week before Passover. And listen to what the Gospel of Mark says just a little bit further on than the scripture we just had read. They, Jesus and his friends, came again to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to Jesus and they began saying to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? Now remember, these are the religious leaders. These are the people in control of what happens inside the temple. And so they go to Jesus and they said, um, excuse me, we didn't license this. We did not approve of this. So would you mind please explaining where you got your permit to allow you to do this? By what authority are you acting? And Jesus, the story says, responded by asking a trick question. But what's amazing is the religious leaders of the day, by now, apparently they caught on to what Jesus was doing. So they hear the question, and the text tells us that they reasoned in their mind, and they realize, you know, he's setting us up for, the, for no matter, we don't have a good answer one way or the other. So they refuse to answer. And then listen to what the text says, that Jesus apparently says to them, well, since you're not going to answer me, I'm not going to answer you. I will not tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So Jesus leaves it open-ended. By what authority are you doing these things? You know, those individuals who want to use this text to justify going out and speaking out against injustices, people that want to use this for protests, people that want to use this for going out and doing marches because they're doing it in the name of Jesus. I think that same question needs to be asked today. By what authority have you decided to do this? By what authority do you decide that this is an unjust situation? By what authority do you determine that this is a just situation? I mean, just for example, flat tax. There were ministers who showed up and proclaimed that it was unjust. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. I don't have a lot of experience in economics. I don't know a lot about taxes. I'm not sure what the ramifications are going to be of this with a surplus budget and the money we were getting from COVID and now with this infrastructure bill that may or may not pass. All of these factors were clouding my mind, but yet 
when I saw in the newspaper these ministers standing there saying it was unjust, it made it so clear for them, but not for me. So the question continues to remain, by what authority are we doing these things? Anthony Harvey, who used to be the archdeacon at Westminster Abbey, asked this exact same question. On what grounds does the church and churches feel that they can make pronouncements on matters of social or cultural issues? On what authority do they speak? Not merely to their own constituency, but it seems even to the world at large. Indeed, the 20th century was one... Lost my place. Indeed, the 20th century was one which saw a flood of such reports from all the churches, all seeking to make magisterial pronouncements about what Christians should think about certain issues of this kind, but also claiming to say what other people should think as well. He goes on a little bit further. He says, and this is talking about a gut punch. This is it. We Christians are not content to say, well, we just happen to know that there's a better way, and why don't you come and talk to us if you like? Instead, we believe we must try to persuade others. And again, the question is asked, by what authority do we have this right to make these proclamations? Last month, the Southern Baptist Convention met in Nashville, Tennessee. 17,000 people. That's a lot of people. And they passed resolutions resolutions based upon what they believe to be the will of God. On July 11th, our denomination, the United Church of Christ, will hold its general synod. There are 11 resolutions that are up for vote. It takes two-thirds of the people voting to know for certain if that is God's will or not. Some of those resolutions are quite interesting. One is a resolution to abolish cash bail bonds. Another resolution is to get rid of conversion therapy. And then there's the resolution about nature. It's about, does nature have the same rights that we do as human beings? If you get on the website, you can actually subscribe, and they will send you a prayer that you can pray every day to make certain that God's will will be done 
in making those decisions regarding these resolutions. So I think both the Southern Baptist Convention and the United Church of Christ have both answered the question somehow, by what authority are we doing these things? It seems to be that they have opted that somehow God is involved in this. That somehow they can discern from God what is just and unjust. But not only will they look to God, but people in claiming authority will use the Bible. Now, it doesn't matter that human beings wrote the Bible. They will claim that it was God who revealed this information to the human beings so they could write the things about the Bible. But again, then the question becomes, if you're using the Bible as your authority, what interpretation of the text are you using to be the basis of your authority? We can't even agree on that one. But that's where ministers come in. You see, ministers are supposed to have a certain amount of authority. That's why we wear this thing. It gives us this feeling of like, we know more than you do. So now, what has happened to my authority? The question that was asked of Jesus is now asked of us. By what authority are you doing these things? Other people will tell you it's church tradition, that the church over the decades, over the millennials, have decided what is the truth and what is just and what is unjust. And some people will think it's human reason. And others will look for a combination of all of them, all to determine what is it? What is that sense of authority that lets us say, this is just, this is unjust? I wonder, though, if we ought to pay more attention, not just to what Jesus did when he cleansed the temple, but how Jesus answered that question, by what authority are you doing this? Jesus didn't answer it. He didn't call upon God and saying that God told him to do it. More than likely, those texts that refer to the Old Testament They were probably added in later on by his followers to justify Jesus' actions. So more than likely, Jesus didn't use the Old Testament to justify his authority. So when he was asked, by what authority are you doing this? Jesus simply said, nothing. What would happen today, instead of relying upon God or the Bible or tradition or ministers as the basis of our authority to determine what is just or unjust, and when we see injustices and what we ought to do about them, instead of looking to some external authority, maybe we ought to do something else. Maybe we ought to answer that phone call. 
I'm sorry. That was that just set me up perfectly. That was awesome. So what, what, what other option do we have? By the way, if that's God, tell him we'll call him back. So, so what do we do? Maybe we ought to pay attention to our motivations. What is it that is motivating me in how I look at this situation and what I should do or not do about it? What is the real reason why I will protest or I will march or I will write my legislature? What is the real motivation behind that? I think one of them to ask yourself is your motivation one of self-interest? These two psychology professors, Zachary Rothschild and Lucas A. Kiefer, they they say the following. They found that third-party concern, what social scientists refer to as moral outrage, is often a function of self-interest, yielded to assuage feelings of personal culpability for societal harms or reinforce to the self and others one's own status as a very good person. Hear that? A lot of the reasons they say that people act out against what they perceive to be social injustices is really to make themselves feel better. They go on and say, essentially, we rail against the offenses of others to make ourselves feel better about the problems we refuse to deal with in our own lives. We build ourselves up by tearing others down, especially when the others comprise a large, faceless entity perceived to have all the power, a.k.a. big corporations, political parties, etc. So a lot of times, our motive for speaking out against injustices is because it just simply makes us feel good. I may be doing some things in my life that maybe I don't feel overly comfortable with, but at least I'm not doing what this company is doing to their employees. We have a way, our mind has this way of wanting ourselves to feel like we're good people. Psychologists have proven this over and over. The majority of us believe that we're better human beings than the person sitting next to us. Do not look at the person sitting next to you right now. I saw some of you look. We want that feeling. So it's easy, our motivation is to point at other people. But there may be another motivation for why we should speak out against injustices. 
And that is a motivation that arises from informed compassion. Now, notice I didn't just use the word compassion. It's informed compassion. It is so easy to get caught up in the media and listening to other people. They make everything seem so black and white, so binary. That's wrong. This is right. You're either on this side or you're on that side. But the reality is, life is really complicated. I mean, I think about, I think about these people with this flat tax. I don't know enough to know their motivations for why they were wanting to pass it and why they were against it. So if I'm going to speak out about injustices, maybe I need to take the time to become informed. And to be informed means that you read both sides. That you ignore the algorithms that social media wants to give you to limit what you see and you go hunting for yourself. You read people that disagree with you so that you broaden your horizons. And then whatever decision you come down upon, you will come down upon that, that decision based more on compassion. Compassion for all sides. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with them. But I may have a little bit more understanding on why they're doing what they're doing. Why they're saying what they're saying. Informed compassion. What would happen if that became our motivation to face a world that is so complex before us? But then again, Life is a lot easier to just read the Bible and say, huh, see what Jesus did? Okay, I'm going to go do that. The one constant theme of what Jesus may or may not have done that seems to be throughout all the Gospels is quite simple. Jesus cared about people. He wanted people to be treated equally. He showed compassion. He even told us to love ourselves. And then once you figure out how to love yourself, you'll know how to love other people. I don't need this for any authority. What I need is in here and in here. That should drive what we do and how we do it. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at 
beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.